0: I'm going to read scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can, or it will also be on the screen behind me. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I don't know if you have taken an opportunity to look at the title of our study this morning in, in, uh, in your handout that you've been given when you came in this morning, but it's entitled Extraordinary Faith. We all, most of us in here, more than likely have already defined faith in some way, but faith is defined as confidence and trust, and our confidence and trust is in the object of God Himself. Faith in faith is not faith, but our faith is placed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We have an object of our faith, and that is the Lord Himself. Extraordinary comes from the translation of what Jesus identified in the faith of this woman. He said, this woman has great faith. And that word can be defined in the original language as extraordinary or out of the ordinary or great faith. So that's where we get our title this morning. But before we begin our study, I want to make some things clear because I think sometimes there's a lot of confusion regarding faith. And because I don't have but one more opportunity to be here, I want to make sure that we all understand before we dive in into our text exactly what we're talking about regarding faith. First of all, I think it's important for us to understand that faith isn't something that is mustered up. It is something that, it, it is not something that we must do. Uh, have you ever been told or ever heard somebody tell you that the reason why you're not able to overcome your trial or defeat your enemy or live in this incredible, wonderful, victorious life is because you just don't exercise enough faith? And you would have more faith, you could overcome every obstacle, you could defeat every enemy, you could live this incredible victorious life. That is, in fact, not reality. It is not something that we must muster up. Ephesians 3 tells us that, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that it is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Faith is a gift, and it is not something that we must muster up or concoct or, or develop or must do ourselves, it is something that I believe we've turned to the Lord, and in times of needing faith, we can ask Him, Lord, I need additional faith for the task, for the assignment, for the opportunity, for the difficulty, for the circumstance, for the situation that I'm facing, and I believe God will give you the faith. It's not something that you do. Saving faith is given by God, and the faith that we live after that, I think, is still given by Him as well. So it's not something we muster up. Secondly, I think I want to be clear that that we understand that faith is not a silver bullet, meaning that it's something that we fire off and it just automatically defeats our demons or overcomes our obstacles and gives us what we want. I think many people believe if I just had enough faith, I could get what I want. So I exercise more faith in order to manipulate God and somehow through faith, I will achieve, I will attain, I will possess that which I desire and that, wa- that which I want. This woman's faith did not just get her what she wanted, but Christ was the object of that faith who gave her what she needed. So therefore, it is something I believe we need to understand that it's not faith that got her there, but Christ is the object of that faith, and he is the one who did what she desired. So don't misunderstand our text this morning by thinking, if I just exercise faith like this woman today, I can get what I desire as well. I don't know how well that's worked for you, but it's not always worked well for me. The third thing I think is interesting that we need to understand and be clear about faith is that faith is not influential. Let me say that again. Faith is influential, but it is not automatic. This woman's faith resulted in what she desired, and what she desired was a healing or a deliverance from her daughter's condition. And her daughter does not possess faith, she possesses faith. And I think we need to understand that because Mother's Day is today and we celebrate Mother's Day and we want to celebrate the faith of our mothers, that a mother's faith is not automatically transferred over to the children simply because she has faith. I think it's important for us to be under, to, to, cognitive of the reality that we can live out and must live out our faith faithfully unto the Lord in the presence of our children so they can see faith lived out in our lives and as we deal with our children, our grandchildren. But faith is not automatically transferred to them simply because we have faith. Faith is a very personal matter and it's something that our children must possess for themselves if they are to have faith in God. Lastly, I think we need to understand that the study that we're going to dive in this morning is a study that's really for all of us. Yesterday is Mother's Day. I did see someone post on Facebook, and it could have been me, but I'm not going to tell you that it was me, but it could have been me, that says that today is Mother's Day. But because I am, and my mother's here today, because I am my mother's son, were it not for me, she would not be a mother. So therefore, I should be the one that gets all the attention today, right? How many agree with that? Okay, nobody. That's a good thing. Don't try that this, today, or don't try that at home. But, uh, you know, Mother's Day is really a celebration for all of us, and the text that we're studying this morning is for all of us. It's not just for mothers, but it's for fathers, it's for grandparents, it's for disciples of Christ. And in this study, we can learn some valuable information that will help us understand how we, like her, can have extraordinary ordinary faith in Christ if we will practice or Do what some of the things she did here. So let's take a look at this extraordinary faith in this text. If you take a look at your your Bible in verse 21, we see the first point. Um, Somebody said a while ago, I've never seen a sermon with seven points. Anybody ever seen a, a sermon with seven points? You have? A few of you? Okay. So we got four minutes of point. You ready to go? Buckle up. Let's do it. All right? Point number one, she demonstrated faith by recognizing the opportunity. She recognizes her opportunity. Notice verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Interesting enough, we learn in the first verse of this same chapter that Christ is in the region of Galilee, and he is encountering some scribes and some Pharisees, and they're having a discussion about traditions, and that discussion doesn't go well. They become irritated with him, and the disciples inform Christ. Hey, Jesus, they're a little bit irritated with you, and so he decides that he's going to leave the region of Galilee and head north, about 25 miles toward the coast, to this city, these two cities in Tyre and Sidon. We don't know exactly where he is, but I can imagine that he's more than likely on the road. He's making the journey. He's traveling toward this direction, and somewhere in this area, in this region, that is a very pagan region, it was settled by people thousands of years before Christ. They are... Uh, They they worship multiple gods. Uh, They do not embrace Jehovah God, but because they speak a similar dialect to those who are Hebrews, they have a lot of similarities in their language, they can communicate. Uh, it's interesting that the Canaanites were actually invited by Solomon to help build the temple because of their skills in craftsmanship. So there's, there's, a, there's an exchange, there's a, a cultural exchange here. They're close in proximity, but they're very hostile toward each other. They're not really uh, the, the Hebrew nation or the Jews or the, the traditional uh, religious people are really upset with these because they're occupying basically part of the promised land, and they were part of the people, the Canaanites, that were not really dealt with properly in the possession of the promised land when they crossed over to possess what God had promised. So there's a a lot of animosity, a lot of tension in this region with these foreigners and the Hebrew people, God's people. So for Christ to leave Galilee to go to this region strikes to me something interesting. Why would he do that? And this is a region that he typically would not have gone to. May I encourage you to think about the reality that possibly Christ is headed there just for this encounter for this woman at this moment. We don't see anything else that is done here while he's in this region other than this encounter with this woman. Why would he head north in this direction other than to have an encounter with this woman and to have this story recorded for us so that we can glean from it and learn from it about this woman's faith? Christ is on a mission. We saw a couple of Sundays ago how Christ said, I am about my father's business. And so the father is directing him toward this unbelieving, hostile territory of these pagan people to encounter this woman at this moment in her life. It's incredible, isn't it? Think about the moment when he invaded your life and the encounter in which you had with him. When you were more than likely not expecting him to come by any king. But notice verse 22, the first part, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. This lady is identified as a Canaanite woman. She's Canaanite, meaning she's pagan, meaning she worships multiple gods. She has more than likely been brought up in a pagan culture. And so not only is she not of the Hebrew nation, not a part of the Israel people, she's also a woman. And it would be uncommon and uncharacteristic for a man to have much to do with a woman in the streets at any time, especially in a conversation or a dialogue like this. So she's got two strikes against her. She's a Canaanite, and she's a woman. In other words, she's to be kept at a distance. And yet, here we see that this woman comes out and There's a lot of debate and discussion among scholars about what that means, but I think what it simply means here is that she came out from where she was. Was she in her home? Was she in the crowd? Was she standing at the side of the street watching Christ come by? We're not told. We're not sure. But we know that she came out, meaning that she stepped out from where she was and risked it all and made an encounter, interacted with Christ. Why would she do that? More than likely, she has heard about Christ. You see, this region of Tyre and Sodom was a, a very traveled area, a very cultured area. More than likely, they had heard about the Messiah. More than likely, news of Christ may have traveled to her area. Maybe she had heard Christ's teaching as he was making his journey along the way. Maybe someone had told her about the Messiah and that many believed in Israel that he had come and she had heard about this Jesus. But as a matter of fact, she understands that Christ is someone that she needs to approach and to introduce herself to and to lay at his feet her request, her dilemma that she cannot solve, her circumstance that is beyond her control. And so she comes out. Why would she do that? Because this is the moment and this is the opportunity. It may not happen again. There may never be a time, there may never be a moment when Christ will be in her region and she'll have this opportunity. You know, I think faith has to understand, and this must recognize when the moment of opportunity is there. It needs to know when to strike. It needs to know when to step out. It needs to know when to take action. And it, 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 this is not a time to delay. It's not a time for for reconsideration. It's not a time to you know think about it any longer because this is the moment. That if this woman doesn't seize this opportunity, it will not be there again. And I think faith needs to be discerning in regard to the reality that this is the moment in which I need to step out, step forward, and take action. Because we're told that as soon as this encounter happens with this woman in just the next verse, that he goes back to Galilee. So he makes the journey up here encounters this woman and turns around and goes back, so this is the moment for her opportunity. That's what faith does. It recognizes, I think, the opportunity. Secondly, she reveals authenticity. Take a look at the text in her authentic faith as she reveals it to, it, to, to the Lord. Uh, she is convicted that Christ is who he claims to be. She is committed to what he can do for her, and she confesses what she believes in the second part of verse 22, and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Not only does she step out and identify herself, and this is something very uncharacteristic. She's not only a woman, but she's a Canaanite. She's not a part of the Hebrew nation, not a part of of Israel, and this Messiah did not come for her, so she's stepping out. But notice she is crying. This word crying is not just a a word in which she is sobbing, but it's a word that defines what she is doing. She is crying with a very loud voice. She's crying out. She wants to be heard. She is not going to be ignored. She is continually, constantly crying out what we are about to read. She doesn't stop. She doesn't, I'm not sure, probably even take much of a breath. What does she cry out? Have mercy on me, O O Lord, son of David, my daughter's severely oppressed by a demon." Again, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter's severely oppressed by a demon. Again, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter's severely oppressed by a demon. And she keeps on and on and on. It is continuous. She doesn't stop. She is crying out for the Lord's attention to hear what she has to say, and to attend to her need. She's crying out. What is she crying out? Have mercy. She's asking for mercy. Notice, have mercy on me. What is mercy? Mercy is what we do not get. It is the Lord giving his mercy toward us, not treating us as we deserve to be treated. She is not only a woman, but she is an infidel. She is a pagan. She's not part of the Hebrew people, and she's saying, Lord, have mercy. Do not treat me as I deserve to be treated. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't treat you as you deserve to be treated? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. He's not talking about me. No. Look him back in the eye and say, he's talking about you too. Talking about all of us, isn't it? He's, she's saying, have mercy on, notice, me. The issue is not herself, but it's her daughter. Why would it be her that she's asking the Lord to have mercy on? Because what mother doesn't suffer when her children are suffering? She's in pain. She's in agony. She's suffering because her child is suffering. She says, have mercy on me. Notice she identifies him as, oh, Lord. While that is a sign of respect, she identifies him as someone of respect and someone of authority, but she identifies him as someone who is sovereign, someone who has power, someone who could help her. He is the Lord of her circumstance. He is the master. He is the one who has the authority and the power to help resolve her circumstance and end her situation. Have mercy on me, O Lord. And she identifies him as son of David. That is a term that we know that is often referenced for the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, who came to save his people from their sin against God. There's a lot of debate among scholars and theologians and commentaries regarding this woman's faith, that she put faith in Christ as her Savior and her Lord. Who can really know? But I'm convinced that this declaration of faith comes because she has a conviction Because she is convinced that unless Christ intervenes In her circumstance and her situation, it will not be resolved And that conviction brings A confidence in order for her to step out regarding her Commitment to step out and to confess that she believes he is The Lord and that he is the Messiah. I don't know but to believe other than anything other this must be a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ as the one who is to solve something that she cannot in and of herself do. And so she reveals this authentic faith. She steps out of where she is and she approaches Christ. That's what faith does, isn't it? It approaches Christ. Not only do we need his mercy, but we need, to do, we need him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. To have mercy upon us, O Lord, for you are our Savior. You are our Messiah. You are the Master. You are the Sovereign One over our circumstance and over our situation. Turning to Christ is where we find our help. Where do we often turn to when we need help? How about Facebook? How about a text to a friend or a call, cell phone? How about a close friend or a relative or someone at work or someone that you are close to? We often have a tendency, if we're not careful, to turn to others for the assistance and the help we need rather than turning to Christ himself, putting our faith, our trust, our confidence in him and him alone to resolve, to help, and to minister to our need. She reveals authentic faith by turning to Christ and believing in him. Thirdly, she realizes her insufficiency. Notice the text in verse 22, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Maya is a personal pronoun. She is obviously the mother of this young lady or this girl, a daughter. We have no indication how old this daughter is. We don't know where she is. We just know that she identifies her need, and her need is with her daughter. She is the mother, and this mother is coming before Christ. And so she is revealing then the condition of her daughter. It is a severe condition. She is being severely oppressed, meaning she is in danger. It's of the essence. It's important because her life is at risk. It is, she is being severely noticed oppressed by a demon. The cause of her conflict and the cause of her condition is demonic. It is spiritual warfare. It is something that is caused by a supernatural power. In which he is oppressing and suppressing this dangerous, difficult, maybe life-threatening condition on her daughter. And it's a spiritual battle that she's in. And in this spiritual battle, she's found no one to help her. I mean, here's a pagan woman who more than likely, and I don't imagine Jesus was not the last one she turned to. Early on, before maybe she heard about Christ or even... After she heard about Christ, but because Christ was not present, what would a pagan idolatrous woman who worships multiple gods, recognizing that this is a spiritual battle, would obviously turn to her gods? But these gods are gods of their own making, they're man made gods in their likeness who have no power and have no authority and more than likely are demonic themselves. So she would be turning to the very Gods that more than likely must have inflicted this pain and suffering on her daughter That could not help her much more than Probably more than that Probably even acerbated the condition So she recognizes it's a spiritual battle And because of that she comes to Jesus Who wars and engages in battle spiritually for us I think it's important for us to realize that our faith is insufficient and we are insufficient in and of ourselves apart from Christ and the spiritual armor that he's given us in order to engage the enemy. For we are in a spiritual battle, and this is a spiritual thing that you and I are even battling today. And like this mother, we have this spiritual entity, this, this force that is opposing the force of God and the, and, and the people of God, and, and there is an enemy that is out to destroy you and your marriage and your family and your children and your witness, and in and of ourselves we are insufficient to fight this fight and overcome this enemy on ourselves. We must, like this lady, turn to Christ and his word in order to be able to overcome and defeat and to win in the battle that we're engaged in. Look at verse 23. She reflects genuine humility. I think that's what faith does. It reflects genuine humility. Verse 23 says, But he did not answer her a word. What's Jesus' response? I mean, here's a lady who's continually yelling out what I just yelled out. I'm going to spare you and not do it again and again and again. She's constantly, continually shouting this out, demanding that Christ not only hear her but attend to her need. And it says, and he but that's a conjunction linking what she just said he christ did not answer her a word not even one word he doesn't answer her maybe he saw her he might have acknowledged her but he does not answer her ever felt like that with god before hey god hey lord And over and over and over and over and over again, you're pleading for his assistance, for his help, for his relief and for release from where you're going through. And it, it seems as if almost God is not hearing you. And you wonder if he's gone deaf. He's not paying attention. And yet he is. But he doesn't answer her a single word. He's aware of her presence, I think. But it's not time for him to do that. Why is he delaying? Because in your life and in my life and our life together, delays are always intentional and purposeful. God delays in a response for our benefit. I know it may seem harsh to to understand that reality, but there are times when I think God delays in answering and responding and coming to our aid simply because we're not ready for the response or we're not where we need to be In order for him to give the response, he's got some things he wants to take us through before we get there, and that's what he does to this woman. Because notice in the text, he said, "But he did not answer her a word." Notice, and his disciples came and begged him. They begged him. They suggested and they begged and they pleaded with him, saying, "Send her away, for she is crying out after us." Hey, Christ, send her away. She's an annoyance. She's driving me nuts. She's constantly yelling out and begging for help. And and I'm annoyed by that. Have you ever been annoyed by someone else? Sure you have. Wish that maybe they went away. Or you could turn them off. Some of you are looking at each other smiling, and I'm not sure why you're doing that. And they're, they're, they're done. But did you notice something interesting? I saw that early this morning when I was kind of reviewing my notes. It says, send her away, but she is crying out, Notice, for us. Was she crying out for them? They're delusional. They think the woman is crying out for them. She's not interested in the disciples. She's interested in Christ and Christ alone. And the disciples now react harshly toward this woman who's constantly annoying them with her shouting and her loudness and her demand to be heard. Verse 24, he answered. Now Christ answers her. Isn't it great when Christ answers us, finally? Man, you go, wow, why did that take so long? Thank you, Lord. But it's not the answer that she's expecting. Notice in verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Christ reveals to her, you're not my mission field. You're not why I came. But he is. She is, but... She's not. Christ left Galilee to have this encounter with his woman, but she's not the target of his mission. He came, he said, he was sent. Christ was sent, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only Son, that whosoever believed in him might, you know, the rest. He was sent by the Father to us. He was sent on a mission, and that mission is to the lost sheep, those, the sheep, those people who were lost. They were. Bound to an eternal destiny without the Father. They were in a religion that was helpless and hopeless. They were lost sheep of the house of Israel, of the Hebrew people. He had a specific mission. And in all fairness, his mission at times did impact other people that were not of the Hebrew nation. But for this moment in time, he's been sent simply for the house of Israel, for those who are Israelites. Verse 25, the first part. But, this is great, she came and knelt before him. She was not to be detained. She was not to be discouraged. She was not to be denied. She was not given up. That's what faith does. Faith doesn't throw in the towel and walk away just because you don't get the answer you want in the time you want, in the way you want. But she came and knelt before him. That word means that she threw her face on the ground and lay before the Lord in the dirt, in the dust, at his feet. Keep in mind that her response is a very public response. There are a lot of people around Christ. There are Dozens, maybe hundreds of people Who all of a sudden are being attracted By this loud, obnoxious woman Who keeps shouting the same thing Thinking that maybe there's going to be an encounter The disciples are there Maybe others are there And without any regard to herself Her self-respect She throws herself at Christ's feet She approaches him and Bam! On the floor, on her face At the feet of Christ. In adoration, in acknowledgment, in humility, Lord, I am humbling myself to the to this degree to where I'm willing to publicly humiliate myself before others, so that you might attend to my need. She fell face down before the Lord in humble adoration to Him. Number five, she reaffirms Christ's sovereignty. She's got her face in the dirt I mean ladies this morning You came dressed for Mother's Day You did everything you could to take And if you're a mother of young children I you, one time I, was, I stood up preaching and, and when our kids were small And I was standing up here preaching like, you know, like this And I looked down and I didn't realize I had gook all over my legs Where the kids had grabbed my legs You know, has that ever happened to you? you realize if you got small kids all of a sudden there's stuff on you you didn't realize was there and none of us wants to walk around like that and I was at the pulpit preaching like that this woman doesn't care about her her apparel or her her uh, cleanliness or germs or dirt and while she's laying on her face before the Lord she says. This word saying here is a different word than before. She's no longer crying out to be heard. She is at the feet of Christ and she is simply using words. It's a different address now. Before she was shouting now she's just saying. Why? She's in the close proximity to Christ. There's no need to shout because the Christ, Christ is there. And she says, notice, Lord help me. This is the second time she calls him Lord. Matter of fact, she calls him Lord three times. Not just out of respect, because she believes he is the sovereign one who has authority, that he is able to do what she needs done. She says, Lord, help. That is, assist me, minister to me, serve me, help me. Again, that's a personal pronoun we're seeing. Lord, help me. She reaffirms the sovereignty of Christ. I think on this journey of faith, there are many times in your life and my life, we just simply need to reaffirm God's sovereignty. God, I'm not the one in the, behind the wheel. I'm not the one in control. You are Lord. You have, you have not abdicated your throne. You're still reigning and ruling in heaven. You are still sovereign. You are still God. No one can thwart your purposes. You have plans and you have things that you're orchestrating and doing. And in the midst of this, I finally get an answer from you and it's not the one I expected, anticipated, or hoped that you would give me. And so I'm simply just going to reaffirm the fact that, okay, Lord, I know you're sovereign in spite of my disappointment in the answer that you gave me. Six, notice she relies upon God's mercy. Notice verse 26 says, and he answered. This is the second response that he gives to her, and this time he's going to tell her his priority. Again, he's going to remind her, this is my priority. First it was his mission, now this is my priority. And what is my priority? Notice he says, and this may seem harsh, but it's not really. It's just a reminder again of what his mission is and what his priority is. That It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Who of you would feed your dogs and not your children. The word dogs here is a household pet. It's a, a, an animal that more than likely lives in the home that is dear to the master that the master loves. My mother's here today, and I'm going to say this because she's here. She had a dog named Cinnabon. Cinnabon was a mutt, and you could use it for a mop if you wanted to. It had Straggly hair, ugly dog She treated that dog better than she did us And I can't tell you how many times She would sneak food from the table No matter where we were In a restaurant or anywhere And put it in her purse To take it to the dumb dog And we joked about the fact that she The dog Better not outlive my parents Because we were not taking care of the dog this way What parent would feed their animal, their pet, their dog that they love, over their children. No parent in his rightful mind would do that. Jesus is saying the same thing. What I am offering, I am offering to the children of Israel. To take away from them to give it to you, that's... That's not the right thing to do. That's not the priority for which I came. I've already told you what my mission is. But notice verse 27. Notice her discernment and her insight. She said, yes, Lord. She's in agreement with him. She doesn't say that's not fair, that's not right, I disagree with you. She affirms what Christ says. She says, yes, Lord, I accept your explanation. I accept. I affirm what you are saying. I approve of it. You're right. I know the Scriptures, and that's exactly the right thing to do. Yet, don't pass over that word, yet, however, even the dogs, the pet animals, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I remember when Caden, who's 17 last Friday, and Matt who many of you know They bought, bought a dog And the dog's best friend Was Caden when he was about Eight months old And you know why the dog's best friend Was Caden at eight months old Always hung around the Table where Caden was eating Why is that Because eight month old children Spill food Food from the table He said Lord but Even the dog's Eat the crumbs from the master's table She takes a humble posture And pleads on the mercy of Christ Lord I know I don't deserve this Don't treat me as I deserve to be treated Have mercy on me And notice she receives Christ's generosity That generosity is grace Our seventh point she receives Christ's generosity in verse 28 then Jesus answered her, third answer Christ gives her, O woman. Sounds like a a response that's more of a rebuke or maybe not very respectful or very kind or compassionate, but in reality it is. He's saying, I know I'm stepping out of the bounds of, of, of what everybody anticipates and expects and even the Hebrew nation, the people. And outside of my mission, because you're a lady, not only a lady, a woman, but you're a woman and a mother and a Canaanite. Oh, woman, notice great is your faith. Great is your faith. Extraordinary, not common. Great faith. The object of her faith was Christ. She was not to be discouraged, not going to let the debate or the disappointment affect the faith that she had in the ability of Christ to respond to her need. And Christ says, in front of his disciples and the crowd that is gathered here, because this is a very public conversation, for not only for her to see this affirm, hear this affirmation, but for those that are there to hear her affirmation. Because I can imagine the disciples and the others are probably wondering, what in the world are he doing addressing this lady anyway? Especially the disciples who wanted her to be gone because she was a nuisance. Send her away. To hear Christ address her, oh woman, great is your faith. Your is a personal pronoun. It's something that she possesses. Her daughter did not possess this faith in Christ. It is her faith in Christ that matters. Remember, early on I said faith is not always transferable. It's not automatic. It can be lived out. It can be intentional. And we should live a life of intentional faith before our family and friends, especially our children, our culture, and our community. But it's not automatically transferred. He says, great is your faith in me, your confidence, your trust in me. Notice the words, be it done. Be it done. You know, I, I thought about that while we were singing this morning, some of the songs we were singing about what Christ did on the cross for us. There's nothing more that we can do because he did it all done it's been done that's what he says to her it, be it done the moment he said that it was done it happened instantaneously, instantaneously automatic it was done be done for you because of your faith as you have asked as you desire as you want and notice and her daughter was healed when what's the word Come on, church, what's the word? Instantly. 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 We don't know if the daughter was there or not, do we? We don't. We don't know where the daughter was. More than likely, she was not there. But I can imagine the mother, upon the words of Christ, had to turn from Christ and turn toward her daughter in faith believing that when Christ said, be it done to you, it was in fact done. Because she had the kind of faith in Christ to believe that when he said it was done, it was done. I know this church is looking for a pastor, and I know it's been a long time. Can I get an amen to that? Come on, can I get an amen to that? Okay. I want to remind you of some things, very quickly. Recognize the opportunity when it comes. Seize the moment. Don't delay. Don't have fear. Because when the opportunity comes and the Lord gives it, you need to seize it. Whenever that is. Who knows when that is? Only the Lord knows. But when he passes by and he gives you an opportunity, you better better take it. Because that's the Lord. Reveal authenticity in him and believe that he is Lord And as Lord, he is sovereign, and if he comes by and he offers the opportunity that he will take care of you and he will take care of his church because that's who he is. You don't have to take care of this church. Not really. You have a responsibility here. But this is the Lord's church. And he said, I will build my church, not you, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? And I think the Lord is trying to help us understand that in this season of waiting on the Lord, we just need to live out an authentic faith, to trust and believe that He is Lord and He is sovereign over His church. We need to realize our insufficiency. You don't have what it's take to keep, you don't have what it takes to keep this church alive. It's not dependent upon you. You're insufficient to do what needs to be done. But he is. Reflect, on, reflect humility in this moment. And bow in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And recognize that he is on his throne. And humble yourself in admitting your insufficiency. And acknowledging his sufficiency. And say, Lord, without you it will not be done. Reaffirm Christ's sovereignty over your life and over His church. Rely upon His mercy because there will be moments when you may not do it exactly right all the time. Turn to the person next to you and say, He's talking about you, He's not talking about me. (laughs) You're not always going to do it right all the time. Why is that? You're human. Not exciting, but reality. And we all need mercy. Not only do we need to receive it from the Lord, but we need to extend it to each other. And then lastly, receive the grace and the generosity of the Lord and watch Him do what you could could not and cannot do on your own without Him. Because His grace is always more than sufficient in our time of need. For it were not for grace, you and I would not be here at all. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, but it's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man or woman shall boast." Father, thank you for the joy and the opportunity we have today to be challenged through this message, and I pray that you would help us not only comprehend the truths that are here, Lord, but help us live them out. God, in our own strength, in our own know-how, in our own experience, no matter how discerning we may be or how talented we may think we are or what gifts we may possess, we cannot in and of ourselves protect, build, or guard your bride. Christ Redeemer Church is yours. You have brought her here You have sustained her through these years And you have a bright future for her For years to come And I pray that those that belong to this family of faith Would be a people of faith As they put you, the object of their faith Their trust, their confidence, and their hope may it be more than just words that we sing or prayers that we prayed, but lives that we live out exemplary lives as this mother did so that we might experience and enjoy the grace and the mercy the love and the compassion and the generosity that comes for those who put their faith, their trust and their confidence in you thank you for this time for this moment be Lord, as we now open up the elements and remind ourselves that it's because of your mercy and your grace that we are even here today, that we breathe the air that we breathe, that we know the life that we live through faith in Christ, our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.